Welcome to a special rendition of True Exact Show. I am joined here by my friend Brian and a special guest here, my favorite on WFAN for the past 10 years, Lori Rubinson. I am so happy you decided to join. Um, I, I sent you a message probably a couple weeks ago. I've name dropped you a lot on episodes. Finally, I got your attention. However, you're an Ivy League student. You graduated from Brown, if I recall, and I misspelled words messaging you. So I was like, oh, my God, I am, I'm screwed here. And then I sent an asterisk with the correction, and I think I misspelled that, too. So I was just like, oh, we are not – this is not going to happen. Luckily, you messaged me back. I really appreciate it, Lori. Uh, no worries. Happy, happy to do this. And, uh, yeah, no, I um, – I mean, if, and if we're really going to do this, first of all, thank you so much for, for listening to me and to WFN, to the station. It is something I never take for granted. And – you know, I've always been picturing when you do a radio show, in some ways it can be so isolating. You're just sitting there and, you know, you have your producer, you have somebody behind the glass, you know, sitting there. But, you know, you're, you're putting it out there into the universe and you have uh, visions of, of who's listening to you and how you're keeping people company. And so right. I, I don't take it for granted. I, I super appreciate it. Um, I will say, as long as we're being accurate, um, you're right. Went to Brown. Um, actually, um, I also have an MBA from Wharton. So I don't always talk about that, but I, but I actually, I actually have two Ivy League degrees. It's whatever. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I got my degree from Tesco University. That's Thomas Edison State College Online. So you know what? <laughs> a, a degree. You know what? A degree. Just like they say, a win is a win. A right. degree is a degree, buddy. You got uh, it. I'd love to just give him a shout out here, Brian. Up here, he's my lawyer. So I'm just, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, so if uh, if we get into anything and we're talking about anything in the politics of the day, Brian, you can have us covered. We say the word, you know, on the radio. Whenever I say anything, I throw the word allegedly into right. anything. Roger Clemens, blah blah. Allegedly. Anytime I say something, somebody says "dump" as if they can <laughs> get out of what I've just said. So that is a terrible plan, and I would advise you not to follow me or trust me in calming anything down. Great. <laughs> God bless you guys, because anytime I say something, nobody listens. So we're on a complete opposite side. Lori, what we like to do here is just uh, the people we grew up listening to. Um, it means a lot to us. I want to get into how you got into the fan, you know, how you got into radio and broadcasting and stuff like that, if you don't mind going through your story. So my story, um, yeah, a little different from other people. As I was working in marketing and having a career and then always this nagging thing probably like a lot of us you know you grow up and you're going to games with your dad and you're watching you know games with your dad and all of this and just always had a dream that wouldn't it be awesome if somebody could pay me to talk about sports for a living like wouldn't that be awesome and I um I actually was reading at the time there was a a casting call ESPN did a um did a reality show called dream job mm -hmm. and so I thought, what the heck? I, I read about it in the post. I lined up in, in Times Square with like thousands of other people. They did casting calls all over the country in like 29 cities. And I got cast for the show. And I made it, I don't know, midway through and got booted. But I got, a, I got an agent out of it. And long story short, ended up having an opportunity through networking where I started co-hosting a radio show. I was telling you guys, in, in Central Jersey, WCTC in Central Jersey with my co-host, Dave Cooperman. We had a show on five days a week called The Sports Buzz. And I would have made probably more money, um, honestly, working at any fast food restaurant than I was making. Um, we, I live in the city. I was reverse commuting out there. Like, you know, we were driving out there. It was like three hours of driving a day, all of this. And I just remember thinking, nobody should be allowed to have this much fun. And um, so financially it was rough, but, uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, I, I love doing it and had an opportunity to cover the Rutgers teams and they were wonderful for me, uh, to me there. And, and that was, um, I, I don't know, the first time that somebody in an official capacity, like as if your media lets you step out onto a field, interview players, be in a press box, you know, I kept waiting for somebody to kick me out um, <laughs> and, and they didn't do that. Um, and, and then the final thing, you know, I mentioned my dad. So my father passed away, unfortunately, when I was 14 years old, hmm. which is a part of my story. And 
all these moments, like you always sort of have that, you know, I wish I could call him and I hope, I hope he sort of knows because yeah. I'm the, you know, I'm the one he created, but uh, long story short, through the years, I would, I got an opportunity when I first was very starting out there and I wasn't ready for WFAM, but I had an opportunity to go in and interview and talk to Mark Chernoff mm-hmm. and Chernoff at, at, you know, obviously if you listen to WFAM, you know, Chernoff and Chernoff is the one who's in charge of talent and putting people on the air. And so he listened to my, you know, listened to me and, and I would, the one advice I would give to people is that a certain level of persistence, um, you don't want to aggravate people, but um, I kept sending him, you know, I would email him like, Hey, here's a little recording, you know, here's a little um, something that I just did. Here's a show, you know, from time to time. And about every six months I would send him something and he would send back some feedback and I would take that to heart and keep working. And finally, with that sort of persistence, um, one day he emailed me and said, I haven't forgotten about you. And would you like to audition on the fan? It was a uh, Memorial day. So we're at my, I don't know, probably 14 year anniversary. And he, he, he said, I think he figured I couldn't do too much damage and put me on the air and let me audition. And, you know, for a few hours and, and the people like, the Tony Pages of the world, you know, others were so kind in, in being helpful to me. And, uh, and I had an opportunity and he liked what he heard and it, you know, kind of went from there. Now what constitutes bothering people? Cause I've sent Gio like 50 messages in two days. Is that, <laughs> is, is that too many? <laughs> um, yeah, that would be bother. Oh okay. God. So, difference, between, difference, difference between that um, persistence and stalking. Gotcha. (laughs) That's a a fine line. That's why I have my lawyer here. That's a fine line. (laughs) I have to advise you not to stalk people. (laughs) I I allegedly sent 50 messages. Oh, yeah. So so you're a big Yankee guy, I know, right? Big Yankee fan, yeah. Is Brian, are you you Yankees, Mets? Where are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of all over the board. I go Yankees. Knicks, and then I go, which I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, I go to the Denver Broncos. Um, oh, all right. Rest a little bit. So I actually wanted you to tell me that John Elway can now pick a quarterback. Drew Locke <laughs> is not just a big guy with a big arm. I know mentally he looks better, so he's not that. Their offense is stacked, and their defense is young enough to, uh, to hold people down. So as long as you tell me all of those things, <laughs> I won't jump over uh, the balcony that I have right here. Yeah, so the thing with Elway and – Look, on the one hand, I'll say this. I really liked the draft he had. And I think it's super important that Drew Locke needed weapons. If you're going to make a young quarterback successful, situation is so important, and that includes weapons. And then the other thing, and I know there may be a lot of Giants fans, you know, um, who might be listening to this and might say, like, what? But Pat Shermer. Yes, screw him. Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator is actually really a positive in my mind. I think Pat Shermer is one of those guys that was not right as a head coach. Um, we see that around the league and across a lot of sports is some people top out and maybe you aren't really right to be the head person, but as a coordinator, I think he has ability and has shown ability to get, um, you know, get a lot out of quarterbacks um, case Keenum, whoever it is. And so I think that they've put a situation now around Drew Locke that I feel better about um, with, I think you have a good coordinator and I think you have more offensive weapons for him. And now you give him a chance um, then to shine until this situation, I would say it, it is shocking to me how poor John Elway as one of the all time great quarterbacks in the history of the league could be such an utter unmitigated disaster at evaluating quarterback talent. And I don't, I don't count having the persuasion to make Peyton Manning come to your team um, and, and be good for a few years at the end of his career as evaluating quarterback talent, because a trained chimp could have figured out that that was a good move. You think Peyton Manning in his prime is sort of a, a, an easy win for John uh, John Elway is what you're saying? Yeah. After, after that, Paxton, I mean, I was hoping that Scott's Cowboys moved up to get Paxton Lynch. Um, I, I didn't know what to make of that. You, you don't know. I mean, it's not like anybody's watching Memphis that closely, but 
since then it has just been an absolute disaster. And if they could protect anybody, that would help. As yeah, well. look, so I, you know, young quarterbacks also, it's really interesting. I'm sure you guys also feel this way is it is a very rare player that I believe has the talent to transcend situation. And so young quarterbacks come into the league and you end up, if you're in a garbage situation, mm. you're going to, you're going to fail. Um, mm. You know, it's a, it's a rare situation that somebody is so super talented, they can transcend when they don't build it properly around you. So I think now, you know, he has an option. Look, the thing that's probably painful, and, and don't tell Brian, don't tell Scott that I said this, right? I'm listening. Just between the two of us. <laughs> is, so it's super painful when you, when you mention that, when you look around at what the Cowboys have done, not just with Dak Prescott, but – Jerry Jones, not one of my favorite people. And yet, look, credit to the Cowboys on they, – they don't get necessarily the most out of their team in terms of wins and losses over these last, I don't know, decade. Yeah. But in terms of putting talent on that team and handling yeah. the draft, they have drafted yeah. really well. I think Jerry Jones actually gets a bad rap. Like, he's done a good job the past 10 years. It's just – yeah, other things take precedent. Um, I, I blame the coaching more, and I don't want to get into Jason Garrett bashing because Lord knows I've done that numerous times. We actually had on uh, RJ Choppy recently from the Dallas radio station, and he tried to, you know, give Garrett a positive light, and I just – I wasn't having it. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't do it. I just – the guy has made me miserable for too long. I'm sure he's a great dude, too. I, I'm sure he's a wonderful person, but just not for me. Lori, we'll see, see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, Giants fans now a little concerned because, you know, is it one of those things with Garrett where, you know, you know, to your point, really smart guy, Princeton mm -hmm. guy, um, maybe decent in terms of he can handle an offense, but just the clapper in terms of uh, being head coach. Uh, I hate him. I hate know, it. We'll see. But I think Giants fans, that's at least a little bit of a concern right now do you understand how mad i get at him when i watch old games i still yell at him like on the <laughs> sideline like i'm like stop clapping like stop no but i wanted to talk so you have your two degrees from ivy league school so you got into radio later then like you it wasn't even a, a thought process of yours while you were going to school to get your degree and it just kind of like snapped no, you know what I did do? So I actually interned um, when I was at Brown. I interned actually at the local NBC affiliate um, TV station there. Um, and I was a sports news intern. So actually, it wasn't like it was something like, oh, you know, yeah. I, wrote, I wrote for the, um, you know, I wrote sports articles for the newspaper. Um, you know, I didn't write about anything else. I was focused on sports. I did. Um, I, uh, as I said, I interned at the local sports TV station and was kind of thinking about that. But I knew also that I wanted to come back to New York. And I did look for some sports opportunities when I graduated, but I don't know, maybe shame on me. I didn't have a lot of contacts. I didn't know people. And I kind of fell into just a, uh, you know, more of like an advertising marketing type of job. Mm -hmm. And, but also I remember even when I applied to Wharton, you know, that, you know, going back and reading my application and they asked like, where you want to be in whatever, you know, number of years and dream job down the road, or I don't know, there was some op something on the application and I wrote um, first female commissioner of baseball. So <laughs> it's not like, it's not like I wasn't thinking these things, I was, <laughs> but I just, I don't know, I guess I just fell into um, some marketing work and then woke up one day and said, what am I doing? How did I get here? And, you know, I have this passion and it would be really sad if I never um, pursued something with it. Do you think, if you don't mind me asking, do you think your father's passing, like you like woke up one day, it was like, you know, me and him went to baseball games. Like I want to do this for him type thing. I don't think I said I want to do this for him, but it was when I did it, I think I felt, you know, I don't know. I felt that presence. I thought about it. Um, and it both, I think, I do think he would have been proud and happy about it. Um, but I also do miss him. He was brilliant. And when I think of how I watch a game, or if you hear me talk on the radio about sports, I come at it differently probably than some of the other hosts, um, you know, in the way my, you know, everybody comes at things differently, whatever, but in the way I was taught to watch a game and think about a game and think about the strategy of it and certain things like that, that all does come from my dad. And I, 
you know, yeah, there's a part of me that feels like if he had been around, you know, even like, let's say when I was doing WCTC, like I just could have pictured my dad listening to all, or on the fan early in my career, listening to every one of my shows. And afterwards, he and I would have done like a big debrief, you know. Uh -huh. um, okay, Laura, you know the part where you, you did this? It would have been great. You could have done that. And this would have been great. Like, he was big into coaching. So it would have been a lot of like coaching and stuff like that. What years were you there of uh, doing Rutgers uh, coverage? Um, uh, so this would have been, I'm just trying to think, if I've been on the fan, um, I don't know, roughly, so it was, a sh well, so what, uh, you know, I'll get my years wrong or whatever, but roughly let's call it 2005, 2006, something around that timing. And it was the Shiano years. So I was there for um, when Rutgers finally got good at football for about five and a half seconds. So when Chris Carlin yeah. is doing pandemonium in yeah. way, I was there that night in the expanded press box. I, you know, my co-host and I were like down on the field at the very end of the game in the corner of the end zone. So we could like dash and interview, you know, Kenny Britt or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, so we, I got, it was actually pretty awesome. I, we got their first bowl game in forever the insight bowl in Arizona. Um, yeah. and 2005, with, uh, right? Yeah. So and, that yeah. first bowl game, the station actually traveled us, which, you know, for a little station to be able to do that, we traveled. It was such a big deal. They, um, we went out and did our shows remotely from Scottsdale, Arizona and Glendale out there. And the, uh, and we did the, we covered the bowl game and interviewed players and, Oh, we went up to some of it, though, also, again, if you want to break into stuff. So here's an example with CTC where they sent us to Arizona to cover that stuff on our own initiative. I remember the probably the following fall or maybe early that fall, whatever it was, we went in preseason to the coaches meeting, which at the time that year they had it in um, Rhode Island that season, um, uh, preseason. And we actually went and drove up there on our own. The station didn't pay us to go. And we went up there and did interviews and got some sound bites from some of the coaches. Um, I, mean, I remember it was like Dave Wanstead at the time at, mm. and whatever. Anyway, yeah. but we, we did that on our own. And so sometimes I think you have to look like what you guys are doing right now. If you want to do this, you have to sometimes create your own content, regardless of whether someone's paying you to do it or not. Right. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, 2006 Rutgers was a letdown because they literally were two weeks away from being a national championship and had to settle for a, the Belk Bowl, if I recall, <laughs> which wasn't even on national TV. The NFL Network aired it. So the people who liked it, if they didn't have the NFL Network, they couldn't even watch it. You're right. And and the letdown part of it, you're absolutely right, was that first there was they were coming off of such a high that yeah. I really thought that was going to be the year that they won. They were in the Big East then. Yeah. And it was an easier conference. And I thought they would finally win and actually get to play in like, it would have been the yeah. orange. I think it was going to be the orange bowl that year. And they would have played in a major Crazy. bowl game. And then to go from like the orange bowl. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like the Belk bowl. Yeah. Like, I think it was the inaugural Belk bowl. It was like the first year. Whatever it was. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was a disaster. But yeah. uh, I think, too, what a crazy year that I'd hate to go into 06, but it wasn't crazy year for college football. If you recall, the Can I'm a Kansas Jayhawk basketball fan, right? And I think the Kansas Jayhawk football team was, like, ranked number one at the time. So you had teams that were ranked that were never there. You had, you had I think, South Florida was in the top five and Kansas, Rutgers. It was crazy. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, I think I, I could Talib was on that Kansas team, if I recall. Yeah, and then and then, and then the, uh, and then the floor fell out, you know, the uh, floor yeah. fell out. <laughs> yeah. And then Nick Saban left the Dolphins and ruined everything in college football. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Lori, how'd you end up on the, cause my favorite show to this day, and I, I tell everybody is the Sunday night show. Um, after the football, you do the overnight. How'd you end up in that slot? Um, so I guess, yeah, when I first started working on WFAN, I was filling in um you know I'd fill in whenever sure enough yeah. would put me on and overnights here and there and whatever and then finally he 
gave me um, he just gave me a regular slot that Sunday night, like 10 to 2 a.m. slot became mine. And it's probably been my show for, you know, we're probably going on like 12 years or yeah. something now that I've had that slot. And then he added for a while. I also used to do the overnight Saturday into Sunday. So I was doing both shows over the weekend, but because I still do a marketing job during the week mm -hmm. at a certain point, doing working seven days a week and, um, kind of doing all of that just became, you know, to a point where, um, I then I cut back on that Saturday into Sunday overnight and just focused on the Sunday night show. But the Sunday night show has been, um, you know, it's just been a pride and joy of mine. And, yeah. and I love that time slot. You know, obviously it's hard football season. I go on later. And if the Yankees are on Sunday night baseball, I, you know, I'll go on later, but on a typical night and even during football season, I love so much of sports that are important happen on a yeah. Sunday. And so to me, even though it, it might feel like it's a weekend, it's like it feels like a prime spot to me because I get to react to the news of the day. Let's say I'm the first host on after NFL games hosting a show and you get to shape coverage and perception and, and interact with people about it and shape yeah. the story before the story has been fully written and covered. Yeah, no, I love it too. Cause like, and I get, I get personally get pissed when the game's going on longer, and it's a game on, and I they have, all right, the game ends, and I'm like, I'm like going to bed. I have a WFA, and I'm like, all right, Laurie's show's coming on, and then they have to do the recap, and so I'm like, come on, just get to the damn show. Uh, you know what? I I don't think I'm allowed, or I'm not supposed to probably <laughs> say, you know, whatever. But those, uh, you know, I know fans say it all the time, and it's true. Look, we have to pay the bills, but yes, those, yes. those post game shows do go on for yeah. uh, for a while. Let's just Absolutely. say that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, when when I really became a fan, I I I might be getting my dates wrong. Were you on? You'll probably remember this. It was December of 2011, the Victor Cruz Jets game. Um, oh yeah. You were on because you had like a holiday schedule, and I remember being pissed off as a Cowboy fan because Victor Cruz had a 99-yard touchdown catch, and right. I'm like, ah, how horrible this is. Um, and I'm playing like Madden, and then I put on WFN, and you had the show afterwards, and yep. that was like one of the first times I really heard you, and I was like, I loved it, I love this host. So ever since then, I've been following you, and I'm just, I'm very happy that you know, you're still on. Did you ever get offered different time slots? Were you ever considered? They've had so many changes, Moose and Maggie. Have you ever been offered that? Is I don't want to go into finances, but is it just not worth it at this point? Yeah, the hard part, again, yeah, for me is that, and where I'm different, I guess, than everybody else is that, um, so I help run a PR and digital marketing agency. And because of the way I started my career in the Wharton MBA and having started in marketing and all of that, I, you know, it's something where, look, if Chernoff wanted to put me on a weekday, you know, afternoon show, mm -hmm. I would love it. <laughs> I have no issues whatsoever. That would be awesome. But I also do understand that to get a show like that, you generally need to be working full time and doing the overnights for a number of years and doing all that sort of stuff. And then you get that kind of show. Um, so, you know, I, you know, where I am right now, if they want to offer me a full time show and the, you know, weekday full-time show two thumbs up i would totally love it but if it's a you know if it's doing the overnights um you know it's harder to give up uh, what i'm doing right now um which i also love i love to tell you that we can make some calls but we have zero power i'm sorry about that <laughs> i can make calls we're not going to beat to anyone yeah. all we can do is complain on social media that's it yeah. I so, uh, see so you did as Brian said so you did uh you did radio out in Colorado, correct? Um yeah, that was okay, so that was like really a mini stop and actually it wasn't even radio. So that was that's actually the very first thing I did, which okay. is um it's actually cable access TV. Okay. Um in in Aspen, Colorado. I had moved out to Aspen. Um uh, this was, you know, before I did the um before I I did the reality show. I just was in the trying to figure out, I love sports. I've never done anything. What do I want to be doing with my life? And I was hanging out in Aspen and just honestly, like skiing and hiking and just 
sort of doing my own thing um, and had an opportunity to um, there was a guy who hosted a cable access show out there talk show about politics and Aspen issues and things like that and honestly I think he was probably like flirting with me and he was like oh you should be on my show sometime <laughs> and I said dude I don't really know anything about Aspen politics he's like well it's a shame before you go home I think I was out there on vacation maybe even he said, before you go home, I'm going to be doing a show, but I don't know. It's about um, the upcoming NFL season. So that would probably be weird. And I was like, oh, no, no. Au contraire. That's actually <laughs> a show. That's something I, I don't know anything about local Aspen politics, but I do know about the NFL. And so I did this cable access thing. And then I ended up moving out there for a little bit of time for about, you know, sort of like a ski bum for about um, – you know, eight months. And, uh, and while I was out there, I did these cable access shows. I remember even, I, you know, I, I did play by play for like Aspen high school basketball game one night. I did, um, I covered a sled hockey wow. tournament, which is actually, which is actually really cool. It's for people, um, who are, uh, you know, disabled. Disabled, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so they, you know, playing hockey in sleds, and so I, I don't know. I would cover all kinds of things out there, but again, it, it's it goes back to sort of the persistence thing. Is no one's probably going to hand you one of these things, mm -hmm. and you have to get lucky, no doubt, if you want to, you know, get a job in sports. But sometimes you also show up in all kinds of places and do some things, and you never know when an opportunity comes around. I must say, what if he was flirting with you, hitting on you. What a miserable <laughs> attempt for a self-respecting man. Do you want to come on my show and talk local politics? Oh, no, thank you. Oh, you probably won't want to talk sports. Then. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I, just, I, can't, I cannot relate with that. I'm going to ask my next date if she wants to come over and talk local politics. In Aspen. <laughs> no, local Aspen local, politics. Local Aspen politics. Yeah, what are they trying to figure out? Like, Oh, we don't know where to put the paths this week. If we should put them between the, the pine trees or <laughs> the double black mountain. No, how different, how different was it out there? Sports, like obviously we're from the East Coast, which is a little more aggressive I'm taking. Is it more laid back, the fans out there? So, well, actually, Brian, you're a Denver Broncos fan. So you get a lot of Broncos fans out there. So, you know, it's actually, I, I mean, you guys are from New Jersey, but it is actually an interesting vibe if you ever live in another part of the country and you're a New York fan. Mm -hmm. And like we see this here in the city too, is there are certain bars that are like, this is where people watch, you know, oh, here the Giants fans gather at this bar you know, and watch and whatever. And so I was doing that when I was out there is I would go and on Sundays go to a particular, you know, bar hangout and sit with the giant fans and, and watch football. But, uh, I mean, Bronco fans and, and being out there and, and sports fans in Colorado, they definitely love their teams. But there is a very different vibe, I think, with fans. You guys know this is mindset of, you know, New York, the, the Northeast thing, New York, yeah. Boston, Philadelphia. I, I mean, for sure, I think we are rougher on our teams and players yes. and expectations than other parts of the country. We're, right. we're rougher. We're more negative. We are. Uh, go on, Brian. Yeah, I was actually in thinking about that. There are certain sports franchises where you look at them, and even if they have a little success, you're like, there's just something that's not right about that franchise. They're not run right. They don't seem to do things smoothly. Like I think of the Browns and it changes, but the Browns, the Raiders, the Knicks, and one of those teams that I always see that way are the Mets. And then they have this story that comes out from this minor leaguer who basically rips oh, yeah. the I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. I haven't looked into the veracity of it and I don't know the guy's name. So I'm not a prepared broadcaster like you, but I look at it and I'm like, that totally fits what I view the Mets as having problems with. And I just want to know if you knew anything or, or what your thoughts about how, how they're, they're moving forward and how they treat their players. I don't want to misquote. We can all look it up. I think it, the player was Andrew Church, if I'm remembering it correctly. And, yeah, minor leaguer that was one of the roughly 40 that, that the Mets let go um, with this pandemic. Which could have uh, something to do with it, to be honest. But – you know, yeah, so obviously he's bitter, negative, unhappy. There is that aspect of it. But, and 
I'll say this, you know, if you want to be positive from a Met fan perspective, it sounded like he was, um, that he was indicating that there is a, a better level of professionalism that seems to be coming into place um, with the current administration, um, which would be the, I guess, the Brody Van Wagen organization and group. But what he was portraying, yeah, it's, it's um, obviously, if you're a Met fan um, or somebody aligned with the Mets organization, it is upsetting to see. And what one of the things that I'm remembering, and again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but one of the issues that I think he had was with being injured and then the way the team brought him back from injury and when they make or want you to play in what situations and are you best prepared and things like that. And you know, that's just been, even going back to, let's say, Carlos Beltran. Let's go back to Beltran as a player. And Beltran had knee issues and wanted to have, uh, you know, he felt like he needed surgery. The team didn't feel like he needed it and didn't want him to shut it down for a season back and forth. And it always seems like, I mean, the Mets use, it's like hospital for special surgery amongst the best doctors that are out there and available to anyone. So it's not a matter of that there's not good doctors here, but somewhere along the way, the communication between, you know, whether it's the Wilpons management, coaches, doctors, all of this with the Mets always seems to, or often frequently seems to go wrong. And I don't know if there's something with the Wilpons where they care so much and try so hard and care about what people think of them so often mm. that instead of just saying what's the right thing and let's just do the right thing and not worry about how it's perceived i think they often then get the communication wrong yeah they must i mean i can't figure out what else is going on because even you you have a world series it almost seems like anytime they have a little run it's more of a blip and you can see that it's a blip because so many other things around the organization are unstable and it's so fun to watch as a yankee fan and celebrate <laughs> oh it's phenomenal misery it's phenomenal I, I have no shame whatsoever no. and i love seeing all the teams that i don't root for um not be successful well that yeah, would be too. one of my very early um radio shows on wfan uh, i don't know within the first year or so or whatever I, I i have a few theories of sports and one of them is what i what i call the schadenfreude theory of sports and schadenfreude is the term that where you take pleasure in other people's pain. Yes. And my point being, I think for sports fans, certain sports fans, certainly Northeast Coast type of sports fans, people often will prefer, like it's more fun for, let's say, a Yankee fan to watch, almost as much fun or more fun for a Yankee fan to watch Boston and the Red Sox suffer than it is even fun to watch your own team do well. Like there's certain things where watching the pain of, of a rival franchise that you don't like is even more fun than watching the success of, of yours. And so what you're describing fits into my schadenfreude theory of sports. And uh, I'm, I'm very familiar with the work of schadenfreude. I learned that at my <laughs> online college. Okay. There you go. I do think there's, there's a lot to that. I am, I'm a Met fan born and raised. And mm -hmm. so, all of this is painful to me, and I do hope that – look, I wish the Will Pounds well, but I, I think, obviously, I think it's beyond the time when they sh they need to sell the team, sell it to, you know, a big billionaire. Just go back and call Steve Cohen, and you know what? You just – you screwed up royally. You should have taken his offer before the <laughs> pandemic. Take the offer, get out, and let the Mets have a deep pocket and owner and, you know, move forward. Right. And it's not even that we like our, um, the franchises to do bad. I enjoy my friends to be miserable. So like <laughs> with, with, with my, my Mets friends, it's phenomenal. I'd rather have them miserable than the franchise itself. It's but, um, scale. yeah. The yeah. closer your friend is, the more miserable you want them to be in sports. Only in sports. <laughs> Only in sports. Although if they're like walking and their pizza falls on the ground, that's equally hilarious. <laughs> 
So, Lori's <laughs> like, what did I get myself into here? No, you know what it is? There are definitely things like that where I think to myself, there are some times where um, I just don't understand men. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't help it. There are times when the, the you know, I'm a chick. And, and yeah. like, you know, I feel bad. My friend drops a piece of pizza on the floor. <laughs> and my reaction isn't, you know, is, oh, my God. Oh, do you want half of mine? Like, that's oh, like no. a response. My, <laughs> you understand when my friend has a bag of Doritos and leaves the table, I crush him. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's my humor. No, but that is right. As bad as I get is I secretly take two Doritos while they're gone. That's about oh. as bad as I get. <laughs> Wow, don't get on, I don't want to get on your bed side. <laughs> I know, crazy. No, no fury. No uh, yeah. fury. Lori, uh, I want to get into baseball. So are we going to have a season? What's your thoughts on the whole thing? Are you on the side of the players, side of the owners? Should they just put their – never mind. But get why their... do the players always get shit when uh, – never mind. <laughs> I'll, back right, well, I'll let you go. All right, so I think there's three questions there then. So <laughs> – is there going to be a season? Whose side am I on? And why do the players always get shit? We've got three questions. There so, you go. Question one, is there going to be a season? I'm still going to lean towards yes, though, look, I'm really pretty close to 50-50 because of the way, you know, time is passing. And they, I think both sides, they, there's legitimate hatred like right. animosity, serious ill will on both sides. And that's not super helpful. You need to have some level of relationship, especially at that top level. And I think between the commissioner right now and the head of the union, I don't think we have it. And because we have relative inexperience at the head of the union in, in Tony Clark, um, you know, it's a former player and obviously, a, a tr you know, a good player and a good person but not an experienced legal negotiator mind necessarily. So then his number two is also not particularly experienced. And then you have them then relying on Scott Boris um, at the super agent. And so he's stoking the fires and just wants the players paid more and all of that. I, you know, so I worry that right now you have two sides at the head without much of a great relationship. And, um, you know, I am concerned, you know, if you're asking me, is there going to be a season? I lean towards yes, only because um, it would be so stupid. And, you know, if their mandate, the commissioner's real charge, when you look at his job description, is the good of the game, promoting the good of the game, serving the good of the game. Now, of course, that's, of course, serving the owner's interest. That's what he's really supposed to be there to do. And if anybody cares about the good of the game, We've got another, in a year, we have a collective bargaining coming up. And if they can't get something going here, and we're going to go into next season where they didn't, they missed a whole season and didn't play baseball, and now they have a, a year till a collective bargaining agreement, and is somebody going to strike and, and, and you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. I just think that they could set their game back so significantly in the eye of the sports fan right now to do this in a pandemic and with unemployment and all of that, that, you know, I lean towards, yes, there will be um, a season in terms of which side I fall out on, you know, I guess there's, there's the part of me that with most questions, um, I can always see both sides of, you know, I think there's merit and a point to both sides. However, if my leanings towards this would be on the side of the players. Um, okay. And my feeling is, if I had to just say it simply, would be, I think the owners, when you look at the value of these franchises, for most of them, unless you bought your team five minutes ago, the valuation of your franchise, and when you consider some of these owners who've been around for a while, if you've owned your franchise for a while, and I, you know, I think I was just reading a stat um, earlier today. Uh, I think credit shout out. I think it was uh, Buster only had it in a, in a story that the valuation over the last 10 years of an MLB franchise has gone up 300%. Mm. So that's just owners who've gotten it in the last 10 years. 
But prior to that, even more than 300%, if your team is worth one and a half billion, two billion, you know, whatever that is, I'm sorry if you're going to lose money in the short term, but you're better off playing a season. And in the long run, you're making gobs, you know, if you're having a hardship, sell your team. Right, and, right. You, and, you'll, and you'll come out ahead hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I was um, listening to Francesa today, and he made a good point. He had a show on at noon. Um, he said that 94, they're lucky they had the home run thing going on in 98, or it may have never recovered for a decade. So are, do you think we could have that same situation? Like it won't recover for were, a while. There were two factors that everybody credited um, coming out of 94, and, and baseball, you know, obviously – uh, the strike and, and the strike shortened season. There were two factors coming out of that that people credited. One was the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run, you know, record pursuit, yeah. which in hindsight, of course, was majorly um, steroid, you know, performance enhancing drug right. affected that we blew up. What? Allegedly. I threw, a, I threw a word in that I actually hate, and that's allegedly. So. <laughs> allegedly, except for in the case of McGuire, he's basically cop to it. Um, yeah. So Sosa may not have um, cop to it, so we can throw an allegedly in there. But, um, but in McGuire's case, yeah. he has um, admitted it. So. I know how he feels. I once tried to cork a stickball bat to win a home run derby, but it, it actually broke apart, and, like, the cork flew out the tip. There you go. So the other, the other big story at the time that helped bring baseball back was Cal Ripken's pursuit of, okay. and then passing of Lou Gehrig's all-time, uh, you know, all-time games, consecutive games played record, Ironman record. And those are two really unusual circumstances. Um, and in terms of, so, so those two things I think helped significantly. And then the other thing that helped significantly um, and, and a lot of people talk about those two factors. The other thing that I think helps significantly in terms of just baseball's economics and helping baseball economically was that um, baseball was ahead of all the other sports on its um, digital leadership. Mm -hmm. And with MLB.com and MLB TV and the MLB, um, you know, advanced media, um, they were, they led all the sports in that. They were terrific at it. And led by a guy named Bob Bowman, who was the like CEO of launching that and ran that. And so economically, all the revenue that poured into the game because they were so good at unleashing digital revenue. Think of all those factors and think of today. Look, we don't know what's around the corner, but you know, I don't, I don't think you can bank on a, you know, a home run chase that, that, right. you know, to your records and steroids, um, allegedly steroids. <laughs> I don't think you can bank on one of the most storied records in your sports being, you know, taken over by a, a player who was quite celebrated and, you know, in, in a Cal Ripken, you know, in the game. I don't think you can bank on that something as massive sea changing as, digital media and the economics and what that would yeah. mean is going to happen. So, yeah, I think to, to expect that to help you heal, I think it would be catastrophic for the game and the brand. Um, and when you think of all, whether it's esports or um, MMA or, you know, whatever, all the other options for entertainment that are out there and that are competing with, mm -hmm. uh, with you know, people, guys like you. And, and guys who are, and, and women and men who are younger than you and a new generation to, to fight now seems to me, you know, I, I'm not going to predict the demise of baseball, but I think that it's a, you know, it, it would really be terrible for the game. And that's why I do think there will ultimately be a season because it is so stupid and short-sighted for it not to be. Not to mention, too, in 98, you were looking at, all right, as big as they were, the NFL wasn't the monster it is now. The NBA wasn't the monster it is now. So baseball is essentially taking a back seat in a way to the, those two sports. So it could only get worse, I feel. Yeah, and, and I also, whether it's college football and, as I said, you know, uh, 
I don't know, w, you know WWE yeah. or you know, other things, just whether you want to consider that a sport or not, just the entertainment value of it. There's other, you know, again, Fortnite, eSports, you know, whatever, all this other stuff that's out there. I wouldn't want to be the person with the good old national pastime trying to yank it out of um, something as, as deep as calling off the season over economics and angering your fans um, and alienating your fans. Yeah. It seems kind of, um, I don't know, childish. To, I, I mean, I can't speak on their money and whatnot, but like you said, you have people right now who don't have a job and to argue over that type of money is kind of, it's a bad look. It's not reading the room well, if you get what I'm saying. It's not. And, you know, in terms of your question, Brian, about why do the players end up always looking bad, uh, some of it is I think the owners, um, at least in this cycle for sure, the owners have been leaking a lot. The owners leak a lot of stuff. And, you know, he who goes first and leaks stuff will always make the other side look bad. And, and if the players are thinking the owners are going to somehow play fair with this, they won't. The other thing that looks terrible right now with the players, they have to, you know, you have to, a lot of what somebody like a Trevor Bauer might be saying might actually be right, but you, you know, or Max Scherzer or any of them, but don't say it publicly, um, is it makes it look like there are, you know, Trevor Bauer and Kyle Loesch fighting it out on social media makes the players look fractured. And so don't fight amongst yourselves publicly. Uh, that's, you know, I think that's one issue. And, and then, um, I, you know, if you read some of the comments or interviews from somebody like Tom Glavin, who was the head of the players union in, in 94, um, when that happened with the, with the season. Um, so the last, you know, the strike shortened, uh, shortened season is, you know, what he said in hindsight is trying to convince the public and the court of public opinion that you're right, that, don't even bother trying to do it um, because the more you try talking about it and persuading people who make a fraction of what you make, you're never going to win or come out sounding like a good guy. So probably the less you say, just, you know, try and negotiate and, uh, and, you know, and actually yeah. make a deal. And it's always going to be easier for 32 or however many teams, I don't even know how many teams, 32 billionaires to get in a room and, and organize themselves and say, what is the best strategy to move forward? And what is the best way to gain leverage and, and to negotiate when you have 25 guys on, per team out on social media and that's the only way they're interacting. And it just kind of seems like they're spouting off, but people forget they're coming off two off seasons in a row where they feel like the owners or somebody has colluded against them to keep their salaries low and freeze out uh, free agency until the later months. So they're, they're just filled with rage, and, and um, they, they know that the public looks at them um, sort of slanted eyes during these times, and they, I don't think they figured out how to overcome that and just say, you know what, we're not putting our health out there. We deserve our money. We're getting this money, and we're just going to shut up and negotiate. I think that's, they struggle with that, and they always have. Yeah, your math, when you think, so there's 30 teams, so 30 billionaires, and if you look at a 40-man roster and say times 30 teams, you're talking about 1,200 players. Um, so you're, you're certainly right about that, that one is you know, much easier than the other um, in terms of finding consensus. I guess when you break it down like that, after, having, after obtaining two Ivy League degrees, <laughs> it doesn't sound as complicated as when it came out of my dumb lips. But, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I had to check my calculator and make sure the math is okay. Your story checks out, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right, uh, thanks for the baseball news. I want to get into one thing really quick um, because uh, you messaged me, and I know you, you um, suggested getting into what's going on now. One thing I do envy about you is uh, – and this is, like, the first time we're ever going to go this route on this show, but I do envy that you're very level-headed. And I remember one tweet you had um, when – uh, Britt McHenry came down with an illness and you actually tweeted her and you guys are on separate spectrums and whatnot. And you tweeted her, um, you know, we don't agree on a lot. I hope you get well. And I think that's very important in today's climate because you have so much hate, so much vitriol, like anger. If you're on separate sides of the spectrum, I'm sure me and you don't agree on everything. Me and Brian don't agree on everything here. Um, half my friends hate my views. I hate it. You know how it is, but um, I really respect that. And um, do you find yourself like, 
that's very important for you as a person, as far as your character to just, you don't wish, you don't wish harm on people regardless if they don't agree with you. Um, in terms of the moment, you know, so for when this show is going to air, uh, or, you know, when, and people are going to listen to your podcast. Um, so we're coming off of a week, a week from tomorrow is when, you know, George Floyd was, was killed in, in, by a, you know, with a policeman putting his knee on his neck in, in Minneapolis. And I, I guess as I look at, you know, I always balance this with, with my social media presence is there's, you know, there's always people who are going to want you to stick to sports and just talk about that. And, and I try with when I'm on the radio to mostly, I do stick to sports yeah. on the radio. I feel like they're paying me to do a job and that is people tune in to listen to sports. And, but when there are political aspects to sports, you know, that certainly becomes part of the story on social media. I mostly try and stick to sports, but I think there are times when something is so important um, that, you know what, if you don't like my social media feed, then, then, <laughs> then yeah. don't listen. Don't watch. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of other people, I guess in my personal life, I, I really do try, and even on social media, I try and listen to other people's points of view. Yeah, and right. even if I really disagree with them, try and at least listen and mm -hmm. I really do believe that if I could get in a room one-on-one -on -one with someone, even if it's someone I disagree with, that we might find a common ground right. if, that, and maybe I would be able to, you know, we might disagree about these things, but where can we find a, uh, a common ground? Um, and the last thing I'll leave you with, you know, I do think on my hope in terms of this, you know, George Floyd and, and the situation and just, um, obviously, um, you know, where we are right now as a nation is, um, I, I hope that there is, you know, that, that it does lead to, um, lead to some change and lead to education, um, in our, in our justice system and, um, and a reevaluation, um, of things. And right. so that's my hope. The dialogue is extremely important, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I, I would say even within seven or six years ago, I had different viewpoints when stuff like this would happen, and uh, I was able to get in, I used to do a podcast with a couple other people, and um, I, I had conversations with one of them, and we would always discuss stuff like this, and I would say, like, my mindset did a complete 180. Like, so like it did change. And I think that is very important instead of just lashing out on people because half the people who hate you on Twitter and comment, they're not that mean in real life. Like it's just, you're behind a keyboard. And if you met in real life, you realize you have more in common than you think you do. So I, I, I do appreciate you doing that. Yeah. My, my social media point of view, but I think it's very different than, than most people's, which is, I always feel like, um, you shouldn't, you know, say something that if you're, if your mother, sister, girlfriend, um, you know, whoever it is, um, was sitting right next to you and saw what you posted, um, would you be able to look them in the face and explain it? And I wouldn't be able you, to tweet anymore. I would be almost SOL. <laughs> and if you can't, if you can't, then you probably shouldn't post it. Um, right. And I'm not saying everything I post is, is fantastic, but I try and hold to a standard that if I was going to have to look you in the face, if I'm posting something about you, if I was going to have to look you in the face, you know, right now we're looking at each other across Zoom. If I'm going to look at you this way, mm -hmm. I should be able to at least explain it, even if you're going to hate what I wrote. Um, yeah. You know, and I feel the same way, even if it's, um, it always bothers me. It's not easy to call for the firing of a, of a head coach or a general mm -hmm. manager, you know, things like that. That's somebody's job. You know, it's their right. dream job. You know, I get that, but I hope that I base it on things where it's performance driven. You know, there, I have issues about it. And if I had to sit across a zoom call and, and look somebody in the face and say, you know, well, here are the three reasons why I think this should, you know, unfortunately you weren't very good at your job. Um, they might think the same of me, but I, I can at least back that up. Right. That's uh, very noble of you, especially in today's society with everything going on. So I know I, I really found that, um, really nice of you because uh you had people commenting on her 
just like, oh, you deserve it, you deserve it. And you're just like, you know, no, you don't deserve that. You know, nobody deserves to die in that aspect or get sick. So that is really, really nice of you. I'm glad you have that um, in your mind. Uh, before I let you go, because I know you're busy and stuff, I have a few questions for you. We'd like to do some questions at the end of the show just to lighten the mood a bit. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. Uh-oh. 86 Mets or 86 Giants? Oh, my God. That's brutal. I know. I, I thought of these. It's just I thought of these all day. Wow. Diabolical. That's really hard for me. Those are, my, those are like my two teams. Those are my first two, you know, like championships. Got to pick. Wow. 86 <laughs> Mets or 86 Giants. Um, okay. Slightly in here. Football is my favorite sport. So there's – like football is my favorite sport, but I'm still going to say 86 Mets because look with the giants, there's like 86 giants. Then there was the 90 giants. Then there's the 2007 giants. Then there's the 2011 giants. Yeah. And, and, and for giants, as great as 86 was, you know, the, um, the 2007 and 2011 seasons were so magical in their own crazy ways that, uh, yeah, I'm going to go 1986 Mets. All and, right. All right. Keith Hernandez and, and that whole gang. And, and also the way that was so magical and crazy and they, you know, they should have lost and Buckner and Mookie Wilson and all of that. So yeah, 86 Mets. 86 glad, you Mets. Brought, glad you brought up the 86 Mets. Cause I got another one for you. Ron Swoboda or Ron Darling. Oh, wow. Um, well, I would go Ron Darling, but just because, yeah, Swoboda, um, I'm sure that if you ask a uh, Met fan who is a little older than I am, they might say Swoboda, and he might be their guy. Yeah. But, uh, but so for me, it's more 86 Mets and Ron Darling. All right. Justin Tuck or the book Tuck Everlasting? <laughs> Both. Um, I pick one, uh, but I'll go with Justin, who I right. Justin Tuck. Not only, of course, a, a terrific giant, but um, but a lot of respect for him personally. Um, actually, share the alma mater. He went and back. He went back and got an MBA from Wharton, and is uh, and you know is working in finance now. And so, a lot of respect for him, both as a a player and and also what he's doing with his life. Right. And just a useless statement about how big uh, NFL players are. Notre Dame grad, go Irish. Mm -hmm. And he, I saw him at the Notre Dame-Syracuse game where Notre Dame lit them up on the sideline. Nice, very nice guy saying hi to everybody. Mountain, monster human. <laughs> Mountain. Huge, gigantic. Yeah. I just can't. I'm 5'7", I'm and he, he just – it was intimidating. Just to and see. They're big. They're you big. Don't th you don't think you could beat them up, Brian? I think I could take him, but um, <laughs> only from behind if he was not looking and I had a metal bat. <laughs> All right. Uh, Corey Webster or Webster's Dictionary? <laughs> I'll take Corey. Um, All right. Corey, Corey came up big in, uh, you know, when he needed to um, in big moments. And uh, that's about, I don't know, what was he, a second round draft pick? That's about, that's about what you, what you want to get out of a second round draft pick. Uh, you know what? I'm saddened by the whole, um DeAndre Baker thing I hope yeah. that works out okay you know whatever but I, I don't really know what you know we'll see that's a big allegedly we're just gonna throw right. allegedly huge, all over the place. huge allegedly uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about I just say allegedly I don't know yeah, but I, I was hoping there's one when you mentioned Corey Webster where I was hoping with Baker where you know sometimes players at cornerback you struggle in that rookie season and then it, it comes together better and, and and Baker was certainly one of those uh where he just got better and better I think uh, this one's going bro yeah Mr. Met flipping off a fan or Bobby Valentine in his uh, glasses and nose and mustache uh, costume? No, no contest, Bobby V. Uh, <laughs> that was love, love Bobby V in disguise in the dugout, which is basically was – that was like a, almost a, a flipping out of the powers that be in the sport. Like, your rules don't apply. I'm going to make fun of them. Um, I actually – <laughs> I actually worked, um, did some marketing work um, with Bobby V in his post Mets career, or whatever, and super smart guy. And uh, so, anyway, I'm a Bobby V fan. All right, this one I think is going to be hard because uh, this Met never won anything for you guys. John Maine or just the state of Maine in general? Uh, the state of Maine, not <laughs> not hard at all. Poor guy. <laughs> 
It's not hard at all. No, you have lobster rolls. You can go hiking, you know, beaches. Uh, The state of Maine's lovely. Um, John Maine, yeah, totally (laughs) underwhelming. (laughs) Sorry, John. Uh, This one, really, I asked all the sports people this just because I'm a Cowboy fan, and I'm at 4-1 to right now in my favor. Tony Romo or Phillip Rivers? Um... Could decide our yeah, friendship. I see, I see your point. Um, that's interesting. Oh, hmm. boy. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I'm not. You know what? Uh, I look. I like a lot. I like Romo better as a person. As oh, a boy. like, you know, a, he's obviously phenomenal as an announcer. I think he had a ton of talent. Um, but when you look at the career and the teams around them I mean both guys I would actually say as much as I like both players I would put both in the category of not doing enough when it mattered most who would you Uh, take to start a team though in their primes at their best on a Tuesday in 1990 (laughs) All right, if I had to, I probably would take Romo and for the sole reason of Philip Rivers' throwing motion makes me insane and I hate watching it. And so if he were on my team, if this had gone differently and instead of the Giants actually, you know, trading and ending up with Eli instead of Rivers, you know, picture like a a pitcher whose throwing motion makes you crazy and you hate watching it. Like that's how I feel about Philip Rivers and his throwing motion. It's that weird sidearm. It's it's an ugly, it works for him and it's accurate for him. It is unpleasant to watch for me to watch Philip Rivers throw and Tony Romo, the swashbuckling, you know, in and out of the pocket all over the place and all that, you know, more fun game to watch. Right. Jump shot is the equivalent of Philip Romo, uh, Philip Rivers' uh, throwing motion. Yeah. Who'd you say? I didn't hear. Who's what? Uh, Sean Marion. Oh yeah. 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 Horrible jump shot. Absolutely. Laurie, thanks for coming on, taking the time out. Where can we catch you? Uh, Plug your social media and stuff. Uh, you can catch me. Um, certainly the biggest thing would be on Twitter at L Rubinson. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter, which would be awesome. And, uh, you know, talking with uh, Mark Chernoff, I think, you know, as some of the, uh, as we get into the summer months, I think some of, uh, some of us part-timers will be back on WFAN. So right. I expect to be back on the fan and, uh, and doing the show. All right. I'll have to call in and, um, just bother you one night. So hopefully you let me through. <laughs> I we were getting into the whole stalking thing again. You're doing it. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Take care. Thank you.